Camping is a really big deal in my family. I would say it's a tradition in my family. Uh, comedian Jim Gaffigan said, camping was a tradition in everyone's family until we invented the house, which I guess is, is true. But, but camping literally is a tradition in my family, especially among the men. And when I say camping, I don't just mean like going to a state park or something. I mean like wilderness camping, like going out on a trail and then just making camp right off a trail with whatever you can bring in and bring out in a backpack and whatever you can make do with in nature. Uh, that's something that generations in my family, especially the men, have done. Uh, my wife and I have four boys, and so uh, with each one of my boys, I've wanted to acclimate them to wilderness camping. I've, I've wanted to get them into camping because it's such a big deal in my family. And so uh, as my, from the time my boys were very, very little, as they were growing up, the way I would acclimate them to camping is I would take them camping in the backyard first. Seriously, my, our youngest just turned 10. And with each one of my boys, as they were growing up, we, we had a fenced in backyard where we would do this. And we would literally take a, go out and set up a tent and we would make a fire and we would stay out there all night or at least as, lo as long as they could all night. And this was a great way to acclimate my boys to the idea of camping. Because going camping in your backyard gives you the feeling like you're doing something dangerous without actually doing something dangerous. You know what I'm saying? Because if, if something goes bad, you know, you just go in the house and mommy is a nurse. And so it's really great. And so in the middle of the night, you know, if, if somebody is missing mommy, you just go up to the front door of the house and you just return them. Uh, if someone is bleeding excessively because dad was not paying attention, it's all right. You just walk the 42 steps it is to the front door and mom's a nurse. So it's all good. And you just, you just go inside. And here's what happens with each one of my boys, the same thing happened. After going camping in the backyard two or three times, eventually they would start to get a taste for adventure. And before long, they started to desire more. And so that fenced in backyard, that fence that at first was making you feel safe in the middle of the night, starts to feel like it's confining you and holding you back. And so with each one of my boys, eventually they would get to the point where they would come to me and they would say, dad, when can we go real camping? And that is the moment I would proudly put my hand on their shoulder and I would say, my son, the force is strong with you. You are now ready to bleed excessively in nature. <laughs> Let's go. And I wish I was kidding about that, but that's not. And so we would go and, and, and that would be the moment we would actually go real wilderness camping together. Um, and so I, I wonder if the same type of thing happens in church. I wonder if the protective shelter and comfort of your home church, after you've been attending for a while, after you've been a part of things for a while, I wonder if it starts to feel like the backyard a little bit. And that fence that at first, when you were first coming, it, it kind of made you feel safe. It kind of made you feel protected. At a certain point, does it start to feel almost like it's confining you? And the safety and the comfort of your backyard starts to change and the church almost stops to meet your spiritual needs, not because there's something lacking or missing with the church, but because it's time for you to take a next step. It's time for you to get a taste for adventure and to lean into the purpose, what it is that God designed you for when it comes to living. I, I just wonder if that happens in the church a little bit. And so um, this morning, I, there are two kinds of risks to get us thinking. Uh, there's the risk of leaving the backyard 
right? Which we all think about, man, it's scary to take our faith out of the backyard of the church and take our faith out into the marketplace, out into our neighborhoods, out into uh, you know, all the relationships that we live in. There's a danger to leaving the, the backyard, to the risk to, of leaving the backyard. But I would also say there is a risk of staying in the backyard too, right? There's a risk that if you just stay in the backyard, you never step into the full adventure that God has for you in your life. And you start to just sort of atrophy a little bit and what you could be as a follower of Jesus. Uh, by the way, there is an option three here that some people pick. I didn't put it up here on the screen, but that's, I leave the backyard and I just go to another backyard. <laughs> and then eventually that backyard starts to feel confining. So I go to another backyard and then another backyard and another backyard and another back. That's called church hopping. And that also stunts your growth and keeps you from fully leaning into and realizing your purpose in life and living into what God has for you. And so uh, we have people here at Frontline in our church, we have some people who run a teen mom's ministry who are literally, what they do is they literally go and there are these pregnant teenage girls in the high schools and they take them, they bring them here and they just share the love of Jesus with them and walk alongside them. Uh, we have people who have started their own nonprofits. We have someone who started their own nonprofit to the people in Haiti after getting involved in missions. We have uh, people who have helped start the storehouse which is this side of the building um, where we're getting these shipments one a month now and Costco is now bringing shipments and we're giving them away through partnerships in the community. We have people who have served and who are leading uh, the essential store. I was literally uh, somewhere last night um, and, and I, was, uh, I was actually making spring rolls. It was a fundraiser for our kids, um, for our kids school. And uh, somebody asked me what I did. I said, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the pastor of Frontline. And this lady two tables away turns around and she says, are you kidding me? You're the one, you're the pastor of Frontline. She goes, I come every month to the essential store. That place is just, it's helped me and my family so much. This is literally on the other side of town. I'm like, you, are you serious? It's crazy. We, we have people um, who have stepped into fostering who literally they felt like at some point the calling of God on their life was even, even though they were already parents biologically, that their calling in life was to run toward the group of kids in the system in our community who are needing some help. And if nothing happens, we'll eventually be the people that fill up our prisons and our mental institutions. And they've just felt like God call, called them to run toward those kids. And I gotta tell you, and this may seem a little bit weird, um, speaking as your pastor, uh, I, I have this weird, and if this is weird, I guess it's just weird. I have this almost like fatherly sense of pride for some of you when I look at you. Uh, I, I almost, almost like a dad, you know, with, with their son, like I, you're ready, you're ready to go camping. And then you watch your kid take that next step. I have that same kind of sense with some of you where I'm just so proud of you. And uh, some of you, I've literally watched you come in the doors of the church. I've seen you get baptized, seen you just get, get saved and get redeemed and God's healed you. He's worked in your life and then you've gotten connected to others. You've gotten equipped to serve. And then like, I just marvel at what God is using you to do. The way you are just sent into the world that we live in and the way you're serving Jesus. I, I feel this weird. I mean, I can't even imagine the sense of pride God has for you as a father, as he looks at you, I, as your pastor. Some of you, it just, that is some of the greatest joy I have as your pastor is watching the way some of you are equipped and called by God and you are just running. You are just doing it. And it fills me with a great sense of pride. And so I wanna talk about what that is. I wanna talk about how we get there. We've talked in this um, series, we've talked about discipleship and we've been looking at the book of Acts. 
The book of Acts is the story of the early church and how it started. And we've looked at it through the lens of these three words that make up our mission, reaching, connecting, and sending. And over the last month, we've asked you, where is it that you need to grow in this season as we move into the Lent season coming up? Do you need to grow in reaching up to God and deepening your faith and your understanding of Jesus? Do you need to connect with other people in the body of Christ and have relationships that help you grow? Or are you needing to take a step and be sent to fulfill your purpose? And today we're talking about sending. What does that mean to fulfill your purpose? And so we're gonna go to Acts chapter 13. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there, but it'll be on the screen behind me. In Acts 13, um, we find the story of how the church became sent. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we started by talking about uh, um, Pentecost, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. The Holy Spirit comes on the church. Peter preaches a message and in 3,000 people in one day, 3,000 people get baptized. They're, they're reconnected with God in one day. They go public with their faith. Last week, if you were here, Pastor John Gorvet, uh, the pastor of our South Campus, talked about connecting. He talked about uh, how the believers began to live intentionally with one, one another, meeting every single day, and they began to just grow in their faith that way. And so today we're gonna go to Acts 13. And if I could set the stage for you for a moment, the church is in Jerusalem for the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And it's Jewish people in Jerusalem who are coming to know Jesus and who are building up the church. So literally, they're, they're people with the context. They know who God the Father is in a sense because they've grown up around the law. They've grown up around the temple. They're Jewish people. And so the church is just growing and, and Jewish people are coming to know the Lord. But then what happens is uh, the church goes through a time of persecution. And so it starts a second campus in this city called Antioch. You thought that was an original idea that we had. It's not. The church has been starting a second campus and a third campus for, for centuries. That's the way it's always been. So they literally, they start this second campus of their church in the city of Antioch in Syria. It's in modern day Libya, Africa, if you're interested. And what happens, this amazing thing starts to happen. For the first time, it's Jewish people coming to the Lord and coming to know Jesus. But all of a sudden, Gentile people in the city of Antioch start coming to know Jesus. Non-Jewish people, people with no context, no history, no background, with who God is, they start, and it's like all of a sudden their minds are blown. There, you, you're kidding me. People who don't even, who weren't even part of the Jewish faith, even those people can come to know Jesus. And there's this amazing thing that's beginning to happen. Christians were first called Christians in the city of Antioch, and so this is how Acts 13 begins as they begin to realize the mission that they have. Verse one, it says, "Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria." were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man. And he's called the black man because he was in fact a black man. That's what he was. He was probably from Northern Africa and his skin was darker than the rest of them. Although none of them were white European looking guys like me. Uh, and so the, the church is already multicultural at this point. Lucius from Cyrene, Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas and Saul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit says, so they're worshiping God, they're reaching up to God and they're fasting and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to them and says, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and let's say this next word together and sent, laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Now, before we talk about what these men did, I wanna stop for a minute. I just wanna talk about who they were. 
Because Luke, who's the writer of the book of Acts, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and then he wrote the book of Acts. He goes into great detail here telling us about these guys. He lists these five men. He says, these are the prophets and the teachers of the church at Antioch. And he goes, I want you to know about them. And he names them by name. He felt it was very important. We knew who they were. And then he gives some biographical data on each one. So I just want to take a minute. Barnabas is the first person that he mentions. Barnabas uh, was... He first is introduced to the story in Acts chapter four. His name is Joseph. So the church, when he comes to Christ, the church actually gives him this nickname Barnabas, even though his real name was Joseph. The name Barnabas means son of encouragement. Isn't that an awesome nickname? You give, given the nickname, you're, he's, he's known for being an encourager. Like that's the nickname he's given, son of encouragement. I mean, I would like to give some people nicknames in the church, like son of whining over here. She's daughter of complaining right there. That's, that's, who, that's her. I mean, I would like, those are the kind of nicknames. Can you imagine what kind of guy this was that the nickname he's given in the church is encourager, son of encouragement. That's, that's how he's known because he was always building others up and encouraging others. Nobody ever died because they got too much encouragement. And so that, that's what he's known for. Simeon, we already said uh, he's known as the black man, probably from North Africa. Some scholars have speculated maybe this was the same Simon that in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus uh, falls carrying his cross, he can't carry the cross any longer. He falls down and the Roman soldier in Matthew's gospel points to a man named Simon standing there who was from out of town. And he says, you carry his cross. Some scholars believe this, is, this might've been the same guy, Simeon, his name changed in the church. Lucius was one of the first people in Acts chapter 11. It says some men from Cyprus and Cyrene, he was from Cyprus, began to, were the first to begin to preach to the Gentiles about the, the truth of Jesus. So he's among those who first began to preach to the Gentiles. Manaean, also uh, not his given name, his name means comforter, Manaean means comforter, and he grew up as a foster child in King Herod Antipas's home. So the church gave him that nickname of comforter, but he was a guy who grew up around Jewish political power and somehow made his way into the church, and then Saul. And we know Saul because Saul was a high educated Pharisee. He was a member of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. And he spent the first few chapters of the book of Acts persecuting Christians until he met Jesus face to face in Acts chapter nine. These are the characters. And Luke says, you need to know who these guys are. So here's the question, why do we care? Why did Luke think it was so important that we knew who these guys were by name and that we knew some biographical information on each one of them. Why? The reason is because these guys were very important people in the church. These were very important characters, figures who had served the church faithfully, who had given their all for the church and they were well known inside the church. These were the guys, I mean, they'd been given nicknames uh, within the church, positive nicknames within the church because they were so well-known and because they had served so faithfully. And so Luke says, it's important that you guys know exactly who these people were. But what you have to understand is no one outside the church had a clue who these guys were. They had no status in the Gentile world. In the larger world, nobody knew who these guys were. The reason Luke tells us their name is because he wants you to know, inside the church, these guys are so well-known and they're so important. They're like the heroes but outside the church, you know, maybe Manaean might've been known a little bit outside the church because he grew up in King Herod's home. But even that would have just been around the Jewish political world. These guys are nobodies outside of the church. 
basically, these guys are campers in the backyard, if you will. That's what they are. They've served faithfully in the church. They've become well-known in the church. They've done it well. And now it's time for them to take a next step. It's time for them to live fully into the calling that was on their life and take a next step they did. From this passage of scripture, go ahead to that map. This was the Roman world at the time in Asia Minor. And I'll show you, I'm, I gotta be careful because this is the same, this will actually turn off the projectors if I'm not careful. Um, this, so this is the city of Antioch. This is where they are. It's hard for you to see it, I know. From this moment, this outlines the first two of Paul's missionary journey. Um, and uh, so he, Barnabas is with him only for the first one and there were three total, but these are the first two. As you can see, he goes from Antioch all over the known Roman world. You can't see it, but up here, that's the city of Philippi. That's the city of Thessalonica. They go around all these, all these places in the Roman world and they begin to plant churches and start churches and lead people, Gentile people to Jesus. And eventually they get to the point where most of the, the New Testament is written. It's letters that Paul himself wrote to the churches and to the followers of Jesus. That's what we have when we're reading the Bible is letters he wrote to those churches uh, after he had started them and after he had gone around and done this. Um, what's really interesting is Paul is known from Acts 13 on, he's referred to in the book of Acts as Paul, not Saul. Now, a lot of people think that's because, well, God changed his name or the church gave him that nickname, just like Barnabas and Manaean, they must've just given him a nickname and called him Paul, that's not true. Saul's name was Saul throughout the entirety of his life. There's nowhere where it says, and God changed his name or the church changed his name. The reason he's known as Paul from this point in the story on is because uh, Paul happened to be a Roman citizen. And so his name in the Greek speaking world would have just been pronounced Paul instead of Saul. He's called Paul from this point in the scriptures on because of who he was sent to. The people who he was sent to, the Gentiles, they would have just called him Paul. His Jewish brothers and sisters, probably still to the point of the day of his death, call, no, that's Saul, that's Saul. He's called Paul because of the mission on his life and who he was sent to. That's how they would have called him. So that's how we call him for the rest of the story. And that's what they do. They lean into their calling and they live it out. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. Sending, when we talk about what sending is, sending is not preparing ministry for people. Although we do that in the church every week, we prepare a service that you come to every week. We prepare ministry for people. We prepare our children's ministry. You drop your kids off there. Uh, we prepare a now gen, which is our student ministry on Wednesday nights. We prepare small groups. We prepare ministry for people every single week. And that's great. That's one of the things we do. But sending, the full mission of the church is not complete until we've stepped into sending. Sending is actually preparing people for ministry. The church prepares ministry for people all the time, but we haven't fully accomplished our mission as a church. I haven't done my job as a pastor until we've equipped people for ministry. People to step out into the marketplace, into the community, into the world at large, into the, into the business world, into the relationships, and to live out their faith. Preparing people for ministry is the high calling of the church. And it's what the Holy Spirit does. If when you begin to follow Jesus and you, and you lean into Jesus long enough, that fence of your local church should start to feel like it's confining you and it's time to take your faith out into the church or out into the world rather. That should start to happen as a follower of Jesus somewhere along the line. And you see that again and again and again in the Bible and the story. So if I could for a moment, 
take a journey with me. We're gonna leave the first century world of Asia Minor and the Roman world, and we're gonna move to America in the last uh, century. So if I could, I wanna give you some American religious history just for a second. Uh, in 1865, um, uh, Charles Darwin published his theory of evolution. And throughout the late 1860s and into the early 1900s, that theory began to gain more and more and more momentum until in 1925, an event happened called the Scopes Trials. Do you remember studying about the Scopes Trials when you were a kid in school? None of you, awesome. Sometimes it's called the Scopes Monkey Trials. Basically, it was, it was kind of a put-on trial that was uh, highly covered by the media here in America. And basically, it debated whether or not the theory of evolution was, uh, could be taught in public schools you know, alongside the idea of, of creationism or instead of creationism. And so what happened is in 1925, from this moment where the Scopes trials happened is Christians in America began to see that they were losing the culture war. And faith and reason appeared to be at odds with each other. I would actually argue they're not at odds with each other. It's like two different sides of the same coin. But in America, that's how Christians began to see it is faith and, and reason are at odds with each other. And so we're losing the culture war. And so what happened is um, Christians in America began to withdraw from the culture. And during the time in, American, in America after 1925, what you begin to see is all this huge eruption of Christian schools and Christian uh, universities, uh, followed by Christian music and Christian concerts and the emergence of Christian bookstores selling Christian books and Christian plaques and even Christian bumper stickers. It was the dawn of the Christian subculture here in America. And pretty soon in this uh, time period, evangelicals felt they should stop mixing with the world in arts and entertainment. We create our own songs and our own movies. In the world of athletics and fitness, we create our own church leagues and church clubs. And in the world of education and training, schools and universities. Now, I, I want to be really clear on something. This is not bad. Nothing right up here on the screen is bad at all. In fact, I think there's been a lot of benefits as followers of Jesus to what's happened in the, the, what we would call the Christian subculture over the last, you know, 80 to 100 years. But, uh, you know, in fact, my life personally, I mean, I, I went to a public high school, but I got my degree in training at a Christian university to become a pastor. I have played in several different church leagues. Or, no, I should say I've ridden the bench in several different uh, church leagues, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, arts and entertainment, I, I mean, I mean, Christian bands, I've been to so many Christian concerts and, and listened to music uh, by Christian bands. I mean, my life personally has been enriched deeply by this, okay? This is not bad. But, but let's just be very, very crystal clear on something. This is camping in the backyard, okay? That's what this is. And it's not bad. You, you have to camp in the backyard in order to get acclimated. You have to, it's a good thing. But we're not fulfilling the mission of the church if we just camp in the backyard. And what happened in America in the last century or so is Christians got very, very good at talking to ourselves and camping in the backyard. And we've looked at this passage of scripture before, but in Matthew 5, Jesus said, and it was part of the Sermon on the Mount, we've done entire sermons on this passage of scripture, so I won't belabor the point, but Jesus said, his disciples are to be salt and light, salt of the earth. Salt preserves flavor and it preserves life. He said, uh, his disciples are to be the light of the world. Light shows the way and it illuminates realities. It points to the truth. 
he said, the church, my disciples are to be a city on a hill. A city on a hill is not hidden, but it's illuminated for everyone to see in the world. That's what we're called to be. We're, we're called to take our faith into the places where we live. So some of you are sitting there right there and you're going, okay, so what? What does that mean? So I think what I wanna do for the next few minutes is I, I wanna talk to two different kinds of people that I think are sitting right here in this room right now. Uh, if I could, I just wanna talk to you. I think um, most of us in this room are, are probably in one of these two categories. First uh, category, I, would say, I wanna talk to the people who need to just be able to say yes before how. Some of you are in a place where you know God is calling you to take a next step. And, and you've been trying to figure that out and trying to figure out what does it mean for me to live my faith? But there's all these how questions. Well, how am I gonna do it? How do I get the money? How do I get the training? How do I get the funding? How, do, how, 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 how? And you're howing yourself to death. What I want you to see in this passage of scripture that we just looked at is Paul and Barnabas did not know how or how long it was gonna take to reach the Gentiles. There's no how, there's no logistics mentioned in any of these passages. It was, we were worshiping the Lord and fasting and the Holy Spirit said, go, and I'm gonna send you to be there with the Gentiles. And so we went. But, but how did, are you gonna get there? How are you gonna find the money? How are you gonna get a ship? How are you gonna, how, 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 how? Here, here's the thing if you're gonna be called by God, if you're gonna to respond to a calling on your life and you're gonna be sent, you have to say yes before you know the how. Yes always comes before how. If the Holy Spirit is working in your life, if he's saying, I'm sending you, I'm sending you, you've got to get, come to a place of obedience to say yes before how. And I'm gonna give you a, in a moment, not yet, but in a moment, I'm gonna give you a chance to do that in this service right now. I feel like God is going to tap some of you on the shoulder and, and your next step is you just need to say yes. And right now you're going, but how, 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 how? And I won't say yes until I know all the hows. It doesn't work that way. St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, uh, he's famous for talking about how understanding is the reward of faith. So yes comes first and then how. Understanding is the reward of taking a step of faith. Some of us, we just need to take a step of faith and step out. Yes comes first before how. That's the first group of people. The second group of people I wanna to talk to here today, I would just say there's a group of us who we just need to let God break our hearts. You need to let God just break your heart for people, for a group of people, for a person. And oftentimes the key to unlocking, what is my calling? What is my purpose? Is in asking the question, what breaks God's heart that also is breaking my heart. Uh, if you look at the story in Antioch, Antioch is where God first began to break the hearts of the leaders of the church. And you gotta understand, these guys were serving faithfully. They were well-known within the church. It was comfortable in the church because they were well-known. Some of you, in terms of saying yes before how, you just need to say yes to serving in the church. Maybe you're going, man, what do I do out there in the world? You just need to get plugged in. If you're not serving right now already faithfully in a ministry and letting God equip you in the church, that's your next step. But for those of you who, who you know, man, God's calling me to something. Paul and Barnabas, their hearts began to get broken at Antioch for the Gentiles. The fact that these, these people all over the Roman world were living apart from God broke their hearts. Here's the truth. 
we insulate ourselves from what breaks our hearts. We're really good at it in America today. The only thing I think we're more afraid of than our own pain is other people's pain. I don't wanna see that. And And really you don't have to see it. If you have a certain level of status and income in this country, you don't have to. And we've become very good at insulating ourselves from other people's pain. And the key oftentimes to living into your purpose, living into your calling and being sent by God is by letting God break your heart. Letting God break your heart for someone who's living apart from Jesus or a group of people, whatever it is for you. But I believe God's gonna begin to do that. Look, I wanna go to Acts 16. This is three chapters after what we're reading. Paul and Barnabas they have no idea the how, but they've said yes, and they're going all around. I want you to listen, look, look at the relationship they have with God and how they're pursuing God and pursuing their purpose. Acts 16, verse nine, I love this passage. That night, Paul had a vision, so he's dreaming. Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in Northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So he literally has this dream about this guy from Northern Greece and the dream, the guy is just pleading with him. He said, come over here and help us. Come over here and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. (laughs) I love that. I read that and I just, I love it. Literally, like they had a dream in the middle of the night. There's this guy standing there from Northern Greece. Will you please come over here and help us? And And Paul's, their heart is just broken for these people in Northern Greece. They wake up next morning like, well, obviously God's calling us there. Here we go. But, but how are you gonna get there? How much money do you need? How are you gonna get back? Where are you gonna get a ship? Let's just go. Yes, before how? And they just, that's the kind of relationship they have with the Holy Spirit, they have with God. I am convinced if you let God break your heart for the people that are, that are breaking God's heart, that are living apart from God, and you are willing to say yes before how, he will show you what to do next. I believe God is gonna give some of you visions and dreams in this room and he's gonna break your heart and he's gonna begin to put you on the adventure of your life. Your life will have so much more meaning, so much more purpose, so much more drive and significance because you won't be living for yourself, insulating yourself from everybody else's pain and just trying to keep yourself in a bubble, but you will be going, you will be sent I believe he's gonna begin to do that. I believe he's gonna begin to call people in our church to step out into the marketplace with dreams to to be a light for Christ. I believe he's gonna do that in ways that he has never even begun to do. As many of us say, man, I'm I'm ready. It's time for me to take my next step. Tell this story and then we're we're gonna enter into a time of prayer. I was talking a couple weeks ago to a dad he, he was a foster dad. Now he's an adoptive dad. So they had biological children, but they, like we were talking about earlier, they felt like God was calling them to become foster parents. And so uh, he was talking to me about the relationship he had with, their, with his foster daughter, now his adopted daughter. And about the time she was a teenager. So they were very young in their relationship and their history together. And he said she would just keep coming to him and asking these questions. And the questions were, what would you do if I got drunk? Like that, that was the question she had. The next day she'd come up and say, what would you do if I tried heroin? One day she came, came to him and just said, what would you do if I got pregnant? Like seriously, right now, if I told you I was pregnant, what, what would you do? And she just kept asking him these questions. And he said the way he kept responding was uh, he, he kept 
giving these like dad joke responses. You know what I mean? Like just kind of pushing it off flippantly. Just say, well, I'd have to give you more chores for sure if you did that. You know, oh, if you did that, I'd definitely make you clean your room a lot. You know, just and then just kind of move on. And, but she just kept coming and kept asking, so what would you do if... And he said that there was this breakthrough moment that happened in their relationship. He said, one day she came to him with another one of these questions. What would you do if I, and it was some dramatic, huge, awful thing. And as she was, you know, he answered it flippantly. As she was walking away, he said he felt the Holy Spirit, not in an audible voice, but just for those of us who are following and pursuing after God, he just felt the Holy Spirit say, why do you think she's asking you that? And he said, the second he heard the Holy Spirit ask that, It was like he knew the answer. He knew the answer and it just broke him because the answer was what she's really asking is if I do the worst, if I absolutely just blow up what we have here, will you still love me? Because there's this long history of people in her life who have just left and abandoned her so in this moment, he said, when he realized that's what she's really asking, that's what's really underneath that, it just began to just break his heart. So he said the next time, the breakthrough actually happened, the next time she came to him and she asked one of those questions again, what would, what would you do if I, and it was some huge thing. And he said, this time he got very, very serious. And he turned to her and he, said, he looked her right in the eye and he said, I want you to listen to me very carefully. If you did that, it would wreck me. I'd be so heartbroken. I'd be so disappointed. But I would still love you. And I would still call you my daughter. And he said from that moment on, she never asked any one of those questions again. Just never came up ever again. And she is his daughter to this day. And because a dad was willing to say yes before how and willing to let God break his heart. Not only is there this girl who knows the love of her father, her earth, an earthly father, but she also, through that relationship, she knows the love of her heavenly father. What breaks your heart? Pay attention. Pay attention. There very well may be a calling from God in there somewhere. I believe God wants to do something. And so in this moment, I wanna ask you to respond. Uh, if, you're, if you're sitting there right now and you're saying, man, I've got a million how questions, but I know it's time for me to take a next step. It's time for me to say yes before how. I want you to signify that you're saying yes right now by just standing right where you are. Go ahead, stand up. Don't be afraid of what other people are thinking. Good for you. Don't do it if you don't mean it. Don't do it just to do it. If you're sensing it's time for me to say yes and stop just endlessly pestering God with how, stand up. I wanna pray for you. I wanna, I wanna literally just pray a, a prayer of sending and blessing on you. Good for you, good for you. You're about to step into the adventure of your life. You're done camping in the backyard. <laughs> he wants to use you. And then the second group of you, if you're not already standing, If you're just saying today, God, I just need you to break my heart. I've insulated myself for far too long from the pain and the suffering of other people in this world. And you're saying, God, today I'm saying yes before how I'm gonna allow you to break my heart. You can stand right with them. If you're just saying, man, God, I just need you to break my heart. I need you to break my heart afresh. I need you to, to, to give me your heart for people in our world. Good for you. 
Good for you. I want to enter into a time of prayer. If you're standing next to one of these people, I, I invite you just to put a hand on their arm or on their shoulder. This is a way, let's, let's be the church right now to each other. All right? I just want to pray a prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe you see those who are standing right now. And just, just as I feel this, as a pastor, I feel this sense of unbelievable, just I'm proud of them. I can't imagine the pride you have as their heavenly father and what you've equipped them with and what you've placed inside of them and the way you wanna use that. It's just nothing better that you call us, that you equip us, that you save us and redeem us. And then you actually use us, that we actually get to be a part of the redemption and the putting back together of this world. So right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pour out whatever is lacking, whatever is needing in the lives of each of these who are standing. God, as they are saying yes to you right now, would you bring the how, would you bring the power, the anointing of your Holy Spirit on their life? Because it's not plans and it's not personalities and it's not agendas that, that change the world. It's the love of Jesus Christ living through human beings. It's what always has, and it's what always will change the world. So God, would you pour out your love on them? Would you break their hearts with the things that break yours? And would you give them an anointing to step into the calling? God, I pray that the marketplaces that they walk into, I pray that the schools, the universities, the factories, the, the neighborhoods would be impacted by people who are, who are living for you. And God, would you show them what's next? Would you show them how? Would you begin to give them visions and dreams of what you wanna do in their lives? And would you allow their dreams for tomorrow to be brighter than their memories of what has been in the past? Would you just give them a, a desire to lean into what you have for them? God, thank you for what you're doing even right now in this place. God, we're just blown away that you allow us to be a part of this. And so Holy Spirit, now would you, would you fall? Would you anoint? Would you equip? And would you send us? And we'll go in the joy that we get to be used by you and in the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in the risen and resurrected name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. We are not done yet. Would you stand to your feet if you're not already standing? And we, just, we need to sing, we need to declare this. So let's just say this together.